The solo violin you're hearing at the head of that ensemble is being played by Melbourne virtuoso Christian Lee. He's just won the Yehudi Menuhin International Competition in the junior division. He's 10 years old. We're going to take you on a journey today from beautiful music to Einstein to the outer reaches of the known universe and beyond. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, he's passionate and outspoken, the foremost public intellectual of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Clifford Goldstein regularly tackles literature, philosophy, Christian faith and science, and the intersections between them. I was privileged to catch up with Cliff just a few days back during his Australian book tour. We have an article in this month's uh, The the May Signs of the Times, uh, written by Ty Gibson, where he recounts this story of the young... Yehudi Menuhin uh, playing in a concert, child prodigy, incredible violinist, and in the audience is Albert Einstein. Now, after the concert, Albert Einstein is just blown away. He stands up, he rushes into the into the kids' dressing room and says, "Now I know there is a God." He was just blown away by that music. H- how does that work, Cliff? Like. He's an incredible physicist, a scientist, a man of science, one of the most incredible minds of the 20th century, and he sees God in music. What's going on there? I, I, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what an Albert, what's in Albert Einstein's mind. I do know everybody after Einstein's death has tried to claim him. Yeah. Biblical Christians, religious Jews, secular atheists. And, well, you know, Einstein said, well, now I know that there is a God. I'm not totally sure exactly what God he meant. Mm-hmm. But I do think what he was acknowledging was just the miracle of creation, mm-hmm. of a human creating something. How could just a blob, if you're going to take an evolutionary standpoint, how could just a blob of matter, of mm-hmm. evolved protoplasm, mm-hmm. create something so beautiful like this? And also, you know, Einstein worked with math. Mm. Everything was math. And as we know that there's a lot of linkage between mathematics and music. You well, wouldn't think right. so, but there mm. are. So without knowing exactly what he meant and by the God that he meant, I have no doubt that he saw something transcendent Mm -hmm. in the music, something that just goes above physics, that goes above atoms and molecules. And for some people, then they just express that as God, as transcendent. So Mm -hmm. as I said, I can't be too dogmatic about exactly what Einstein meant by that. I've read a lot about Einstein and so forth, but that's my guess as to what was going Mm -hmm. on. Apparently he said that E equals MC squared was in some way a musical expression. Apparently he said he did his best thinking playing Mozart on the the violin. Well, yeah, I can understand that because I do my best writing listening to music. Oh, there you go. And there's just something... Well, you know, mathematicians often sometimes talk about beautiful mathematics. Mm -hmm. And they'll say mathematics is beautiful. Now, I am not a mathematician, Mm. so I'm not totally sure what that means. Though I think I have a little bit of an understanding. There's a symmetry. There's Mm. a balance. There's something there 
that it's it's very rational. Mm-hmm. You know, mathematics is, in one level, it's exceeding rea- rational, though on the other hand, it's fascinating that in the 20th century, some of the world's greatest mathematicians tried to put mathematics on a purely logical foundation mm-hmm. and have failed. Yeah. And yeah. to this day, humanity has not been able to build an absolute, solid, rational, immovable logical foundation for mathematics, which means to a certain mm-hmm. degree, even mathematics has to be taken on faith, yeah. which, is, which is very interesting. So, uh-huh. so something there, there is something in the world of mathematics where mathematicians do see beauty. And I remember one famous mathematician named Hardy, he once said, I reject any ugly mathematics. Oh, okay. And he says, only beautiful mathematics works, and some would argue seems to describe reality, which is very fascinating. Wow. How does that work? Well, yeah, well exactly, yeah. That, that is, I guess, what I'm wondering. I mean, does the reality of mathematics and the fact that there is symmetry there, there is beauty there, there is balance, does it suggest that we live in a universe that has some sort of order at its foundation or in its structure somehow? Well, I think the mere fact of modern science, the mere fact that we do science, science works on the assumption that there is a certain rationality. Mm -hmm. There is a certain order. Mm. It there, can be it, investigated, yeah. it can be discovered, it can be described. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and described, not explained. That's a good, mm. it's very hard to explain, but to be described. So, you know, some have argued, and I'm not saying I necessarily buy the argument, but some have argued and said, why did modern science arise in, quote, Christian Europe? Mm-hmm. Okay, and the, the argument has been, well, it's because with the Christian background, the Christian God impl- implies a rational God mm-hmm. who created a rational, ordered world mm-hmm. that rational beings using their reason, using common sense, using empirical evidence can uncover. Mm. And now whether that's, it's probably one of those things, there's some truth to it. Yeah. Because you got to ask yourself, because you know, some say really modern science began with the ancient Greeks 450 years, 500 years before Christ, mm. who knew nothing about the God of the Christians. And so there's some truth to that, but it is sort of amazing that, well, one, I'll give you one of the fascinating things was all our life we always have been taught and for centuries, people have taught Euclidean geometry. Mm-hmm. Parallel lines never meet, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so forth, the, the, the postulates of Euclid. And for 1,500, 1,800,000 years, whatever, these were used. They mm-hmm. worked. They, they made accurate predictions. Immanuel Kant, Kant even argued that this is how we think. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was said that above Plato's Academy, he had a, uh, a sign saying, let only those who do geometry enter here. Wow. And it was the idea that, you know, this is pure rational thinking. Mm-hmm. And you could apply some of the concepts of Euclidean geometry mm-hmm. to rational thought. And to a certain degree, it worked. That's, that's only one side of the equation, though, isn't it? Because on the other side, we have things like quantum Quantum, oh, well, quantum a, physics. Oh, well, your whole that, move. You know, that, that just doesn't seem to match this ordered oh. thing. Like, it, is it a wave or, it a, or is it a particle? Oh, yeah. oh, it's kind of both. Is it here or is it there? It's kind of in both places. And then uh, you wrote an article in Science of the Times, you know, quite recently about the issue of free will and love and things like this. If, if our universe is so ordered and so structured, where's 
the room for love and free will and well that's a million dollar question people have debated that for a long time mm -hmm. and even to this day it's one of the most highly contended philosophical if you were to ask me on a, from a purely philosophical way i can't prove free will mm -hmm. okay but i take free will on faith mm -hmm. i'm a born again christian mm -hmm. believe scripture my religion makes absolutely no sense to me without the reality of free will the fact mm -hmm. that i can't prove it from physics no. or from psychology or from philosophy is, is somewhat irrelevant mm -hmm. to me but oh yeah there's whole dimensions that mathematics and this stuff just doesn't seem to explain and that's what i think was going on with einstein mm -hmm. at that time i mean he just got a glimpse of the transcendence there that just doesn't make sense in a purely there's just too many things that just don't make sense mm. in the purely naturalistic materialistic world of say richard dawkins mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are things that you know it just is very hard for that model mm. like like to be explain beauty for example yeah i mean yeah how does that fit in you know it's funny there's always trying to find an evolutionary answer for everything mm -hmm. you know everything and, and even atheists and evolutionists sometimes find that a little ridiculous mm -hmm. but yeah. What is the functional purpose of beauty? Yeah, yeah. How does it fit in? If if anything, you'd think something is uglier, the less it, and something would bother it, you mm -hmm. know. And yet, there's beauty all around. Mm -hmm. It's just astonishing. I still remember my little boy. He was just at one point. This was years ago. He mm -hmm. was three or four, and my my wife opened up a book. It showed a picture of a lake in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And I just remember this little boy at three goes, oh, look at that. It's beautiful. Mm. Where did a three-year-old, a four-year-old get this sense of aesthetics mm. and so forth? And I don't know. I think it's a gift from God. I think, mm. you know, scripture says we were, we were made in the image of God. And God in the Bible is a cre the creator. The, I believe he created this beauty. And so I believe we were created in ways to... When we create beautiful things, I think we are reflecting mm. the character of the God who created mm. us. One, one thing I, I found quite interesting, and, and I got this from an interesting source because I'm not much of a mathematician, but I was reading the, um, remember the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown that came out, <laughs> what was it, um, 15, 15 years ago? Yeah. And the, the book begins by describing this mathematical, it's called the Fibonacci sequence. Yeah. It's related to the golden ratio. And basically, there's a mathematical formula that defines and describes and measures exactly, say, the spirals on a seashell sure. or, the, um, or the, the way a pine cone is, is structured or even, you know, parts of a human body and also the arms of galaxies sure. in, in the universe. And and this, you know, book, which was obviously fiction, yeah. um, you know, it had got a lot of people thinking and talking, nevertheless, you know, brought this to my attention. I thought, is this for real or is this fiction? And I, you know, went and Googled it and checked it out. It's for real, this Fibonacci sequence. It's like a some sure. sort of fingerprint of design, you know, through everything. Well, a lot of people question, is mathematics, are mathematics even real? Mm-hmm. You know, what does a number two look like? Have you ever seen a number two? <laughs> Have you ever stepped on one? How big is mm. it? What color is it? And number two is easy. What about a negative three? Mm, it's an abstract yeah. concept, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and so forth. And yet, years ago, a, a famous um, philosopher wrote a paper called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics and Science. Mm -hmm. And how is it that these numbers, these abstract numbers that we're mm. not even sure exist, 
so accurately describe mm. the real world. It was centuries ago, Galileo said mathematics is the language of nature. Mm -hmm. And funny, I was mentioning earlier about Euclidean geometry and how it was said to fit the world. The middle of the 1800s, the, 18th, the 19th century, mm -hmm. a couple of these Russian, a couple of mathematicians on their own came up with non-Euclidean geometry. Mm -hmm. They came up with geometry where the angles of a triangle are not 180 degrees, where parallel lines new meet, a perfectly logically consistent geometry of all the logic and reason of Euclidean geometry. Mm. And they said, well, this is interesting stuff, but it doesn't mean anything. And then oh, 50 years later, Albert Einstein uses this geometry mm -hmm. to describe the curvature of space with his general relativity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need this non-Euclidean geometry because it turns out that reality is not Euclidean. Mm. Mass bends space and time. Ma 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 um, space is curved. And this non-Euclidean geometry... The stuff that this guy's made up in their head. Mm -hmm. How is it that half a century later, it acts so accurately describes mm -hmm. reality? And that's a mystery. That's yeah. a mystery. Now, if you believe that there's a rational God mm. who created a rational world to a certain degree with, you know, certain order to it, mm -hmm. and he created human beings as rational creatures to interact with that world, then it's not as... It's still mysterious, but it makes a certain amount of sense how we could discover mm. discover it out there. Mm. You know, you can't be dogmatic about it, but it is kind of amazing that we can deal with the stuff we don't even know if they're real, mm -hmm. and yet they sure accurately describe reality, yeah. at least as reality as it appears to us. It's interesting you say that, Cliff, because there seems to be a, a certain uh, sort of emphasis, probably within the, in the humanities more than in the sciences, that suggests that the human habit of trying to understand things and categorize things and, you know, pigeonhole things is pretty much an attempt to turn chaos into some sort of order. Um, and, and I guess the underlying assumption of that is that there really is no order. It is just all chaos. And if we give this thing a name and say, well, this is one thing and that's, I mean, gender, for example, right now, um, you know, gender is, is fluid. Um, it's on a continuum. Um, any attempt to, you know, turn it into some sort of dualistic schema is just a, an inaccurate way of thinking. I mean, is, is, is this wrongheaded? Well, I think it's an overreact. I mean, humanity wants order. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was fascinating in Eastern Europe. Not, you know, they, they overthrow the communists and the people have a taste of freedom. But then they start getting some of the insecurities that come with freedom. And before long, they start voting back in more authoritarian regimes. Mm. And I just think it. So there is a human desire to to have an under understanding. And but I do think there's an order out there. Mm. We do sense an order out there. Now, sometimes, you know. It's not absolutely obvious. Mm. And, you know, you have storms and there's a lot of, seems like, arbitrariness in life and, and, and natural disasters and so on. But somehow underneath it all, I think there's this sense that there really is some kind of order mm. pervading it. And it's hard to see that in any kind of purely naturalistic, materialistic mm. worldview. Mm. I can't dogmatically say... Well, that points to a God of order mm -hmm. because then that opens up a host of other questions. But I can't dogmatically say that it doesn't. I think you have to be very narrow minded to automatically dismiss that. 
Mm, you know, mm. you can say, well, if there is a God, how come this, how come that? That's fine, and that's fair, and those are fair questions, but I think at the same time, if you're going to be honest, you got to say, wow, there really does seem to be an underlying order here at some level. Where did that come from? Mm. How did that get here? And the idea of a creator God who made it is not ludicrous on the face of it. It's mm, certainly mm. a reasonable assumption whether you necessarily buy into it or not. Mm, so. mm. And I think that this is this is the rub, really, isn't it? Because in academia today, in in the you know sure. the tertiary sector, within sciences, within within the humanities, what you're suggesting that you know there is some sort of created order that God is behind everything. I mean, that's derided. Yeah. That's that's mocked. You know, the idea of, of being a creationist or believing sure. in intelligent design is is laughable for a lot of people. Well, that it's true, but this is really based on certain assumptions. Mm-hmm. Okay, people have that view. There, they bought into the modern worldview, mm-hmm. a modern atheistic, purely materialistic view of the world. See, there's nothing in science that says there cannot be a God or there is no God, mm-hmm. okay? The, to, to argue that is a purely philosophical assumption that mm-hmm. somebody brings in. And unfortunately, that has been brought into almost all of academia, mm-hmm. almost all, as you're saying, the whole educated world, and they bought into the Darwinian worldview, and mm-hmm. even it's an assumption Mm. The whole Darwinian process was built on certain assumptions, and I happen to think they were false assumptions. In fact, I recently, we have here, I've got a new book out called Baptizing the Devil. Yes, a, a very provocative title. Yeah, why, yeah. why did you choose that? Well, what happened was, I. Uh, this is a book I'm writing about. It's basically about the philosophy of science, and I'm just trying to show people, you know, every age has myths. Mm-hmm. And we look back at the, the old myths of people in the past. We think, how silly, how mm. foolish. But you think we're the only age that doesn't believe in myths. And people say, no, we're beyond myths because we have science and science leads to truth. See, that's the great myth of our age. Mm-hmm. That, well, it's science, therefore it's got to be truth. And I wrote this book to, just to try to break the spell of scientism. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that if you're having a conversation with somebody and they say, but it's science, mm-hmm. the implication is you need to bow down and genuflect and surrender any and all recalcitrant beliefs to it. Mm. And that's wrong. That's, mm. that's wrong, but that's one of the great myths of our time. And I was writing the book and I'm in the book and I'm just thinking at one point because I'm writing this book to get people to question evolution. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not as solid as everybody makes it out to be. And I just thought, well, what you know, I was tr- I was actually warning against theistic evolutions, those mm. who try to meld Christianity and the Bible together. Well, it's interesting you say that, Cliff, because the I think the majority of mainline Christian denominations bought into today, it. they do see it that way. Yeah. And I mean, look, it, anyone with any sort of education is going to look up at the night sky and say, see that star up there, that light took, you know, millions of light years to get to me. Um, they will look at the layers of the rocks and the earth and they say, boy, that's deep. That goes down a long, long, long way. Sure. And the geological, you know, teaching that, well, that's because it took a very lo- long time to be there. Sure. It seems very reasonable. And, and some of the f- ways that creationists talk seem ridiculous. So, sure. I mean, why not 
a compromised position that takes the best of science and the best of faith and puts it together? Because that's that's the way a lot of Christians are, are heading these days. Well, the, there's a lot in there, and I could try to deal with each one. Mm. I'll say, though, and I deal with this in my book, I spend the first two-thirds of the book just showing that, hey, science isn't necessarily what you may, you think it is. It's not as certain as you think. Mm-hmm. But then I deal with how silly Christians end up looking trying to incorporate evolution into mm-hmm. Silly from whose point of view? Well, even silly from atheist points of view. I've got some atheists in here that say the Christians are laughable Mm. trying to make it fit. Mm -hmm. I have in some ways, I have, I think people like Richard Dawkins have a lot more honesty and integrity than a lot of the Christians that are trying to make evolution fit. Because at least they're consistent. Yeah, yeah. But let's go back then to the rocks, okay? Because I deal with this in my book. No one's going to deny the layers of the rocks. Mm -hmm. No one's going to deny the fossils are in the rocks. Mm -hmm. The question is, though, how do you interpret what's there? Mm -hmm. The fossils don't say buried 800 million years ago, you know, or, or, or so on. We're today, we're looking at this from today. And the evolutionary model is just one model. It's one model based on a host of presuppositions Mm. and assumptions, which none of them are apodectic. None of them are absolutely proven. Mm. And And some some evidence you have to be... Well, yeah, there's some... Well, again, to evidence... Carbon dating, radiometric dating. Well, the funny thing is, is the history of science is filled with... You've got examples of people having very good evidence, mm. powerful scientific evidence for theories that we now believe are wrong. Mm. Okay, for you know that, that theories that well back then there was powerful scientific evidence for wow. this, and now we say now it's wrong. So people could say, I have no doubt that evolutionists have what they believe is good evidence mm-hmm. for their views. Mm-hmm. They might even have what. Many people would even say is good evidence, but good evidence is not the same thing as proof that it is. Mm, and mm. I just contend that it's wrong. Mm. I just contend, I, the way I, I, I contend that any honest reading of scripture does not allow for billions of years of evolution. I'd say, mm-hmm. be honest. If you're going to say, even if you're a Christian, you could say, all right, look, I believe in the word of God, but in the light of modern science, I need to say that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are absolutely, totally wrong and or, really teach us nothing. Or, or allegorical origin. or mythical yeah, in yeah, some way. Yeah, and mm. I do, but however, when you really... If you look at scripture closely, I don't think scripture really allows that. And when mm. you do that, you destroy, you, for example, a lot of theistic evolutionists say there is no atom. Mm. Forget the idea of a sinless atom. Mm-hmm. Forget it. It's just utterly impossible in the model of origins that we as evolutions, uh, evolutionists have. But nevertheless, geneticists in looking at the, you know, the different nations and ethnic groups of the world, they point to a common ancestor, yeah. don't they? Well, what you got, I, I don't, I'm not told, I don't know enough about that. Mm. I've heard that. But see, here's where you got to be careful. Here's where I think Christians make a mistake. And I don't deal with that in my book so much, but maybe I should have. We love it when the scientific evidence points. Mm-hmm. So it affirms what we believe. Mm-hmm. And we grab and, onto it with both hands. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm very leery of scientific claims to truth. In fact, there's a whole, I deal with a whole section in my book. There's a whole wing of a philosophy of science 
which says science has nothing to do with finding truth. Mm. Science is only about measuring, about making models, about making predictions, about manipulating nature, and that the whole idea of whether the theory is true or not, or whether this is truth, that's not science, that's metaphysics, that's something else Mm. entirely. There's a lot of people who believe that, and yet the average person doesn't understand that. The average person... Well, it's science and the Siri works, therefore it has to be true. Mm -hmm. I have a chapter in my book called Good But Not True where I create a well-known philosopher of science who says a theory could be good but not true. Mm. And that's mind-boggling because we're not used to thinking of bad theories as being good. But the fact is there's the history of science shows a lot of technology had been created by theories that are now believed to be false. In fact, when I was writing this book, I gave the book to a friend of mine who was a scientist, a psychologist, and he kept on marking, he, anywhere I mentioned science as a quest for truth, he kept on marking it in red. He said, any honest scientist will tell you science is not a search for truth. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily buy that. Mm. I don't, but I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the reason I find it fascinating it is because for so many Christians, well, the science says it. The evidence is in. Mm-hmm. The evidence for the long ages and the evolution. And, and I would still say on every one of the, that bit of evidence, mm-hmm. you look at it, and at some point, they're, they're going to have, well, we believe this because of this. Mm-hmm. And we believe this because of that. And they're going to go down, down, down. And then at one point, their justification for it stops. Mm. Said, well, we've got to take that on faith. We've got to build on certain assumptions. And I happen to think that in many cases, those assumptions are wrong. Mm. Mm. And therefore, the conclusions that they drew drew are wrong. And that has freed me up. Uh, look, I'm not anti-science. People, Somebody wrote a letter to an editor a while back, said, Goldstein, you're on your anti-science kick. <laughs> and I said, I'm no more, to, to reject evolution no more makes me anti-science than to not pray to Mary, to not pray to a statue of Mary makes me anti-belief in the virgin birth or anti-belief in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, no, I, I understand science and respect science, but I don't have to bow down and kowtow mm. to everything that it creates. And again, the myth of our age I believe is, well, science says it, therefore it's got to be true. Mm. Science says billions of years, long ages, evolution, and all these scientists say it, therefore it's got to be true. I'm free from that. I'm free <laughs> from that. It means wow. nothing to me anymore. So your, your book, Baptizing the Devil, Evolution and the Seduction of Christianity, I assume this is something you can pick up in uh, on Amazon? Oh, yeah. You can get it on Amazon. You know, you can get the e-book or the print book. Okay. And, and, and Adventist book centers? Yeah, Adventist book centers will have mm-hmm. it. And uh, I, I wrote this book, said, look, I really wrote it for any conservative Christian mm-hmm. who takes Scripture seriously, mm-hmm. but who lives in a culture. And, you know, we've all impacted by our culture. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody escapes it. I don't escape it. You don't escape it. An atheist doesn't escape it. No Christian escapes it. It's reality. Mm. But I've... In our culture, we're inundated with this idea of scientism, mm-hmm. the idea that science says it, it's true, it's correct. We're inundated with this ev- evolution, it's proven, there's no mm-hmm. doubt, and so forth. And I just tried to show people, hey, and take a closer look at this. You don't necessarily have to buy 
into this. Mm. And, and I, you know, it might help some people. Might Some people might read the book and say, what a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But I'd still like to believe that I think others who are seeking who might be able to say, hey, this truly gives me something to think about. Mm-hmm. And the irony is the vast majority of research I did in this book on the philosophy of science, I got from people who were atheists and or evolutionists. Okay. Practicing philosophers of science truly understand Mm. the limitations of science. Wow. They understand it's nowhere near as certain as you think. And and one of the people say, well, the science works. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, is you've got a whole long history of scientific theories that work, mm. that make accurate predictions that are now believed wrong. Or, or incomplete in some yeah, way. Or incomplete. Yeah. I mean, even right now, our cell phones use quantum physics. Mm. Nobody has a clue as to what's really going on there. But the science works. But they work, yeah. And that's for some people, that's fine. What is really going on at the quantum level? But, you know, some people want to find truth. And when you use science to start looking for truth, that's when you run into a whole host of struggles that most people don't realize. Mm, wow. Well, look, you've given us a, a heck of a lot to think about great, great. today. Thanks so much for your time sure. today. Really appreciate it, Cliff. Great. And uh, yeah, hopefully next time you're in the country, we'll, uh, we'll grab do it again. again. Yeah. yeah. All great. right. Thank Thanks you. very much. Sure. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 